Good morning, everybody. My name is Dan McDonald, um, one of the pastors here at Highland, um, generally out at the Western campus. But it's really a treat to come up here to Wausau, see a, a lot of familiar faces and, and a lot of unfamiliar faces, which is good. You know, that's, that's really a treat. And it's good to be with you today as we continue our sermon series in the Fruit of the Spirit. Um, <clears throat> so I want to ask you, just as we get started this morning, could you please join me in reciting out loud uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right. We could probably just close it up and go home right now. <laughs> I am going to pray, but it'll be an opening prayer. Not a closing prayer, but let's pray together. Father, it's a joy to be with my brothers and sisters. It's amazing that we can call you Father, that in your, according to the pleasure of your will, you have brought us into relationship with you, and you've adopted us into your family. And thank you that we have the opportunity as brothers and sisters to grow together through the years that we have here on this earth, to grow into Christ-likeness, uh, the image of your Son more and more, and uh, to have incredible joy. And as we think about joy today, as we study the fruit of the Spirit, could you please awaken our hearts to a deeper and greater joy than we ever thought possible? Thank you that you promised that to us through Christ. I pray, Father, that you be with me as I, as I teach and preach today, that I will speak only what is true and right. If I am out of line in any way, I pray, Lord, that we would discard that, but that your word, however, would penetrate deep into our hearts and transform us increasingly into Jesus' likeness. So thank you for this time we have together, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, um, so joy will be our, our focus today, uh, fruit of the Spirit. And it's interesting. That, I mean, there's a lot of things in this world that can really impede joy. But I think the single greatest thing that can impede our joy is to pursue things in this creation as though they are ultimate things, as though they are the end-all, be-all. Um, if you've ever had a chance to read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, you see that that's what Solomon did. He set his heart on pleasure, and he pursued pleasure, and he denied himself no pleasure. He went full tilt into as much pleasure as he could think of, and he came to the end of it, and he said, you know what? It's empty. It's meaningless. Solomon also poured his heart into his work, and he built amazing things, and he denied himself no opportunity to work and to toil and to build and to create. But in the end, he said the same thing. It's empty. It's vanity. It's nothing. That's because we are not wired for the things that are in this world. We are, we are wired to find our joy in the Lord in God himself, the creator. There are other things that, that, that kind of drag us down that same path, you know, things that can, can lead us in the wrong direction, things that can impede our joy. So I collected a few headlines from the past week that I want to share with you. Um, here's one. Ukraine invasion imminent? Question mark. Car dealers raising prices due to low supplies. How huge silent earthquake caused mysterious global tsunami, 
As violence rises in West Bank, settler attacks raise alarm. And we read headlines like this. We're inundated with them every day. And if we dwell there, what do we hear? We hear things that provoke fear, anxiety, hopelessness, despair. There are so many things that impede our joy. Maybe you could even write headlines from your own life that would be akin to the headlines I just shared with you. But we're not going to stay here in this gloom. Do you desire joy in your life? Do I desire joy in my life? Do you desire to have a settled confidence that no matter what might be shaking out from under you, that you're going to be okay because of your foundation in Christ? Do you desire that kind of confidence, that kind of joy? Do you desire to know that, not just intellectually, but, but when things are happening in your life that are huge, that in your heart you just have this knowledge, this confidence that God has got you, that he is for you? Do you desire those things? Do I? And if we do, there is so much hope for us today. Uh, there is a pathway to joy that Jesus has laid out for us. And I want to describe that from Jesus' own words in John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus has spoken some things to his disciples for the purpose of them being filled with Jesus' own joy, a joy that is the fullest joy that we could ever imagine. Jesus is joyful because he has a perfect relationship with his Father, because he is by nature God, and God is a joyful God. His joy is incredible, and his joy can be in us. The same joy that he has in his father. So he, he tells his disciples this. And, and I like what he said. He said, these things I've spoken to you so that you can have this joy. So I think what we want to do this morning then is what are these things that he has told his disciples that will bring them joy? Let's look at those so that we too can have that joy as Jesus' disciples. So as we think about these, one thing I want to think about is that Jesus desires us to be joyful. He's not like, he's, he doesn't have joy kind of hidden somewhere that we have to go on this huge trek and, and follow the right map and turn all the right places to get there. No, he makes it very plain, very obvious to us how we too can be people of joy. There is a path to joy. So let's read about it. We'll read John 15 verses 1 through 11. And as we read, we can just be listening maybe for some of these things that Jesus is talking about that bring, they're designed to bring us incredible joy. So verse 1, chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. 
and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what I'd like to do is take a look at, at five things this morning that Jesus talks about that are designed to draw us into this incredible, fulfilling, life, eternal joy. I'm going to start right away with this one. Jesus is the true vine. And his people are connected to him like branches, and therefore we bear good fruit. Verse 1, I think it's very interesting that Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine. So that implies something to us, right? Just the emphasis on the word true. That implies that there are other vines that are not true. There are false vines out there. And Jesus is the true vine. There is one true vine, one life-giving vine that imparts life to us, Jesus alone. But in thinking about false vines, probably his disciples would have thought a lot about Old Testament imagery of vines uh, seen oftentimes in the Old Testament. And one particular passage is Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. This is a vine that is not a life-giving vine. It's a false vine, not a true vine. And here we have Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord. Isaiah starts out this way. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I've not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Now I will tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I'll break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I'll also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So God planted his people, Israel, like a vine in the promised land. And they yielded wild grapes, tasteless, punky, rotten grapes. The fruit of this vine was, instead of justice, it was bloodshed. Instead of righteousness, it produced an outcry. Wickedness that came from this vine. And I love what God said here. He said, um, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I've not done in it? You know, God, God told Israel through Isaiah that I've done these great things for you. You should be bearing amazing fruit. 
And we know that God did great things for Israel. He, he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He met them in the wilderness and reiterated his covenant with them that he had given to Abraham to be their God. They would be his people. He gave that, reiterated that covenant with them in the wilderness. And then he brought them safely to a land of plenty, a promised land that he had set apart for them. And he gave them his righteous rules to govern how they lived in that land. So we have God's people living in God's place under God's perfect rule. And what could go wrong, right? But Israel rebelled against God. And instead of being this light to the nations that said, look how amazing our God is. Instead, they looked just like the other nations. They worshiped the idols of the other nations. And they were coming under judgment because of that. They were a false vine. They could not produce the life that is required. But Jesus is the true vine. In contrast, the true vine, the one who produces life for all who are connected to him like branches to the vine. And then we, as a result, are able to produce good fruit. We're able to produce the fruit of righteousness and justice and the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about in this sermon series. So our call then is to, is to abide in Jesus. Right? He says in verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So what does it mean to abide? Um, we see that in the text. What does it mean? And I think it can be helpful to think about a young couple that... I don't know, they're kind of interested in each other and they start to talk to each other and, and then they begin to spend more time together and, and they really want to know about each other so they ask questions of each other, they, they listen to one another, they talk to each other and they just want to be together. That's just kind of a great picture of what it means to abide. So how do we abide in Christ? How do we abide in Jesus? How do we do that? Because we can't see him. We believe in him, as Peter said, even though we can't see him. So how do we how do we do that? Well, we we talk with Jesus, we listen to Jesus, um, we pray to Jesus. Now, I I know that Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, "Pray this way: Our Father who is in heaven," and that is right, and that is good. So we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, we can also pray to. Um, Jesus is a person, not an idea or a concept, a real person, just as alive and real as you and I are here today. And he invites us to pray to him. In fact, there are um, two prayers in Scripture that come to mind even now that were prayed to Jesus. Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, the first martyr of the Christian church, cried out with his last breath, Lord Jesus, I commit my spirit into your hands. Okay, that's a prayer to Jesus. And then we read at the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? And, and Jesus himself invites us to pray to him, to commune with him. If we look at Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, Jesus says. 
Jesus tells us he's approachable, he's gentle, he's lowly, he's, he wants to relieve us of our struggles and our burdens so we can come to him. And we see this in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So there's this invitation to bring these things to Jesus. He knows exactly what it's like to be us. He's, he's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. He's a sympathetic high priest. He walked this earth. He knows struggle. He knows temptation. He knows all these things. And he stands ready to help us. So one way that we abide in Jesus is by, is by praying to him and communing with him and talking with him. It would be really weird, though, to be in a relationship where one person does all the talking, right? So we don't want to just pray, but we want to hear Jesus' word. We need it desperately, really. And when we, when we take in how does Jesus talk to us, it's through the Bible. The entire word of God is about Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 to his disciples, right after his resurrection, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, how the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all pointed to him. And then, of course, so that's the whole Old Testament. And the New Testament is all about Jesus. The whole Bible is about him. If we want to know Jesus, if we want to hear him, we read his word and we can get to know him. But it's not just a hearing of his word that's important. Many of you probably know the parable Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7 about a wise man who built his house on a rock and a foolish man who built his house on sand, right? And then the rains came down, the floods came up, the storm came, and the house on the rock stood firm, and the house on the sand was destroyed because of the foundation. But it's interesting in Matthew 7 where Jesus compares the two, and he says, this is the difference between those two foundations. Both the wise man and the foolish man heard God's word. But the wise man heard God's word and did his word. A wise person is one who hears and does the word of God. So part of abiding in Jesus is hearing his word and doing it, obeying him. He says in John 15 verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So the way we abide in him is by hearing his word, hearing what he has to say, and you really prove your love for somebody if you go do what they tell you, you know. Um, what kind of love would it be if, if someone said, um, you know, like if Sue said to me, Dan, uh, you were snoring again. Could you sleep on your side tonight? And, and I'm like, no, nah, I just want to sleep on my back. You know, I mean, that's a very terrible example. But, <laughs> but to hear her words and to not do them would not be a loving thing. You know, we, we love God when we hear his words and we do his words. So to abide in Jesus, speak with him, spend time with him, stay near him, take his word in and be transformed by it. A second thing, a second marker on this pathway to joy, through our connection with Jesus, the true vine, we are rescued from judgment. John chapter 15 verses 1 through 3. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So God the Father, the vine dresser, if there's a branch not bearing fruit, he takes that branch away. That, that branch is not really connected to the vine. Um, picture Judas, for instance. Hang, hung around with Jesus, was nearby, but not really connected to the life of Christ. Um, and Jesus said, already you are clean to the other disciples because of the word that I have spoken to you. You have believed my word. You are connected to the vine. You are clean, and there's no judgment for you. You will not be taken away. We see that in verse 6 as well. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay, fire is this tremendous picture of judgment in Scripture. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, though, but you guys, you guys are clean. You know, you're in me. You're connected to me. You're connected to my life. And you're not under judgment. And, and, and Jesus said, this is one of these things that brings us joy, is that we're not under judgment. To, to take us from the, the eternal terror of hell and transport us to the eternal kingdom of joy and bliss in the presence of God forever. We've been rescued from that by Jesus through our faith in him, through our connected, we're connected to him forever. And we're not under condemnation. That is another thing to meditate on and think about as we pursue this path of joy. One of these things that Jesus shares with us. A third thing that we can think about today is that through our connection with Jesus, the true vine, we have consistently powerful answered prayer. Consistent, powerful answered prayer. Look at verse 7 with me, please. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Isn't that something? Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. We read that and, and we can't go to a genie in the bottle sort of thing where you know we have our whatever our wishes and desires are. Um, but the, it, it's preceded by that statement by Jesus, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. Because if we're abiding in Jesus, if we're spending time with Jesus, if we're connected to him and his life is flowing into us and his word is coming into us, what does his word do to our wishes? It transforms our wishes into his wishes. It transforms our desires into his desires so that when we are transformed more and more into his likeness, we pray the things that he wants us to have and we have consistently answered prayer. And when we have consistently answered prayer, that brings us joy to know that the living God who numbered the stars, who created them all, is willing to enter into this relationship with us and give us the things that we truly, truly need. So we can pray with confidence. We can pray things that Jesus wants us to pray, such as we can pray for the grace to believe. Lord, give me grace to believe. I know, Lord, that you have this promise in Revelation 21 that one day there will be no more sadness and no more tears, no more pain, no more death. You're going to make everything new. I know that. I read that. But give me the grace to believe that so that it makes a real, a real difference in my life today when the things that are around me are unraveling, 
Let me remember these promises and let them speak joy into my life right now. Romans 8, 28 and 29, Jesus purchased another promise for us when he died on the cross. All things work together for good for those who love God and are, according, and are called according to his purpose. All things, not some things, not everything except my, the sin I just committed. All things work together for my good, that Jesus even redeems what I just did and changes me and conforms me into the likeness of Christ. The good that he is working out in us, that all things work together toward, is the good of being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. We see that in Romans 8, 29, the very next verse. We are being shaped in the likeness of his son. And that is good for us because the more like Christ we are, the better relationship we have with our heavenly father, the better relationship we have with people around us, the better understanding we have of what's going on around us, the more hope we have, the more joy we have, the more peace, all those fruit of the spirit are ours, the more like Christ we are. So God is at work in us and we can have this hope that in the midst of things seemingly quaking, and shaking and coming out from under us that he's really up to something good in my life. We can ask him for the grace to believe these promises and he will give us that grace to believe these promises. He will not withhold that from us. We can also ask him for the courage to stand against the pressures of sin, the temptation of sin, and he will give us the courage to stand against it. We can ask him to give us compassion for a lost world so that we will bear witness to this good news that we have. And he will give us that compassion. He will pour these things into us. He doesn't withhold these from us. We can ask for these things. We can consistently have powerfully answered prayer. And that will bring us joy because that's what we're made for. And number four, through our connection with Jesus, the true vine we have this new ability to bring glory to the Father. Listen to this in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The Father is glorified. The one who created the stars, quadrillions, I don't know how many there are, numbers I can't even fathom, who created all that and then created us on this speck of a planet. And we're little specks on the speck. This God can be glorified through us. When we are connected with Jesus, when we're abiding in him, we bear fruit that brings him glory. It glorifies the sun. When the sun's work is accomplished on earth and when the sun is glorified, that brings glory to the Father. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, we want to be careful here because... It's not that we can prove that we're Jesus' disciples and win our way into his favor, into God's favor by doing great things. If we can just do a little better, maybe God will accept me. That's not what he says, right? He says that we will bear fruit. Our fruit is the proof of us being disciples already. Because what did Jesus say back in verse 5? If you're, if you're not connected to the vine, if you're not connected to me, you can do nothing. So if anybody's bearing good fruit, it's because they're already in Christ. That comes first, and then fruit is produced in us. But it's amazing that we have this ability to bring glory to the Father. Apart from being connected with Christ, all our good deeds are like Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. They're like these filthy rags, these polluted garments our righteous deeds are. 
But if we're connected with Christ, we can bring glory to the one who made the universe. He allows us that incredible privilege because the sun is at work. And when the sun's work is accomplished in the earth through the disciples that he creates, the Father is glorified. And I have a, it's kind of a goofy story, I think, about how a child brings glory to a father. Um, a few years ago, uh, my son Luke was on a baseball team in high school. And he came up in the first inning, the bases were loaded, and he hit the ball out of the park. And all of a sudden, his team was up 4 nothing. He'd never hit a home run before in organized baseball. And so he was so happy. And as he's rounding the bases, everybody's clapping him on the back and cheering him on, and coaches are giving him high fives, and he's just thrilled. And then something really strange happened. Um, as Sue and I were watching this play out, uh, the the parents in the stands came over and started shaking our hands and congratulating us. And we hadn't even done anything, you know. We were enjoying what Luke was doing, but we actually received some glory through the work of our son. And, and in a far greater way, the Father is glorified when Jesus' work in us, when his fruit is produced in us. That brings glory to the Father. When we live lives of justice and righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit that we've been studying through these weeks, when, when our lives are characterized by that, there is a world that says there's something different going on here. I want to I find out what's going on. I want to come to know that God because this world is a dark place. It's perishing. It's horrific. And here's people with hope and joy in the midst of it all. And it's, it's a way as we bear this fruit that Jesus is glorified, and the Father is glorified through the Son. We have this privilege, and that's what we're made for. So when we do that, we have our greatest joy. When, when people do what they're made to do, we find joy. When we live for ourselves, ultimately we find emptiness. Maybe some fleeting pleasure along the way, but ultimate emptiness. And then the last one, through our connection with Jesus, we have the amazing privilege of being loved with an everlasting love. Listen to this in verse 9. Jesus said, as, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I love that. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, the way the Father loves me, so have I loved you. So that's what Jesus says to his disciples, to those disciples, to us as his disciples. The same way that the Father loves Jesus. And, and the Father's love for Jesus is not this stoic, um, disposed favor toward him. It's so much more than that. It's not stoic. It's Jesus and his Father have this amazing relationship where the Father says things at Jesus' baptism. This is my Son, my beloved Son. In him I'm well pleased. I delight in my Son, the Father says about Jesus. Mount of Transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him. The father delights in the son. That love that the father has for the son is the same love that Jesus has for us. He delights in us. It's, it's not, a, it's not a, an empty sort of love. It is packed with meaning and power. Listen to how John describes love in 1 John 4. Verse 10, he says, In this is love. It's not that we've loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, that's an incredible love because to send Jesus to be the propitiation to appease God's wrath against sin is incredible because we are born in sin, right? Um, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but for those who aren't in Christ, we're already under condemnation. John 3.18 says, if you haven't believed in the name of the Son of God, you are under condemnation. We don't even have to wait till the end of our lives to find out if we're condemned or not. We're already under condemnation unless something happens, unless Christ rescues us. And that's the kind of love God had for us. We in our rebellion are running toward hell, living life our own way. If we think of God, maybe it's just to pull him off the shelf to try to help us. But we don't bow down to him. We don't yield to him. We don't acknowledge him as sovereign over all, over our lives. We go our own way. And we, as a result, are under the wrath of God. The the righteous, just, measured wrath of a just God. He must punish sin. It's his nature to accomplish righteousness. And if sin is done, he must punish it. But for Jesus to be the propitiation, for Jesus to come into this world to lay down his life willingly for the Father to love us so much to send the Son and for the Son to come so lovingly and willingly and instead of that wrath against my sin coming down on me, it's like Jesus steps in front of it, absorbs all of it as the propitiation, appeases that wrath and and there's no wrath left. (laughs) Jesus drank the bitter cup of God's wrath and didn't leave one drop for us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are loved with an everlasting love. And Jesus says, abide in that love. Stay there. Remain there. Think about it. Take it in. Try to grasp it. You know, it's going to take eternity to grasp more and more of how much he loves us. But to wake up every day realizing that we are loved with an everlasting love brings us tremendous joy. So Jesus has given us these five markers on this path to joy. He has made that possible for us. And he invites us into that. And the critical portion of that is that we have to abide in him. So how do we abide in him? Well, I think we have to have a plan to do it. We have to have a plan to to spend time with him, to be around him, to hear from his word. Because otherwise it just becomes an idea that we kind of like, but then it just gets put back here somewhere and we go on with our lives We have to be active in this plan. So just to encourage each of us to, like, tomorrow, where are you going to sit? Where am I going to sit tomorrow? And at what time am I going to open my Bible? And what am I going to read? That's why I like a Bible reading plan, so I know exactly where I'm going to read the next day, because I checked that off yesterday. Okay, so here I am today. And God meets us exactly where we are. He knows what we're reading. And he will speak into our lives. And we can, we can read our Bible. We can underline things that we like in our Bible, things that help us, things that he's teaching us. We can write those down because then we're meditating on God's word when it comes out the end of our pen. Write down a Bible verse that really hit you today. Talk about how it has impacted you. You know, write about that. Okay, we're taking in God's word on a regular, faithful basis, and he transforms us. And the result of that transformation is likeness to Christ and incredible joy. So brothers and sisters, um, 
I've enjoyed walking with you through these many years in this path of joy. And let's continue that together. And let's pray. Father in heaven, it's amazing that you have prescribed a way for us to be joyful, and that is really to be in your Son. Thank you that he has drawn us, that he has given us the strength to remain in him, that he then courses his life through us as branches to produce good fruit. And thank you that that enables us to bring glory to you and that that brings us tremendous joy. Help us, Father, to to love your son, to spend time with him. Jesus, work in our lives in these ways. Thank you that you know what it's like to be us. And please continue to transform us, Father, into the likeness of your son. By the power of your Holy Spirit, produce these things in us, produce this joy. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.